Welcome to Western Tabletop. This is an HMG special. You have seen the GNT specials, uh, but now you have the one and only Jack Daniels. You have Jacob and Daniel on the call, uh, and we're going to bring to you some uh, more lovely bolt action, tactics, theory crafting, everything you need to know to play this game. We're going to dig right into exactly what Dan's got in his head about how to play bolt action. Today we're going to really cover board control, uh, which which is a topic that we've brought up quite a few times in the past, but um, do want to focus on uh, you know specifics on what you can do to improve your game when it comes to placement uh, and what are the threats, the objectives, and everything that's important about a mission to actually succeed on the table. Um, but before we get into that, uh, it has been a little bit of time since we've caught up. Uh, anything new in the hobby world for you, Dan? Uh, let's see. So there's a couple of events that are on the horizon that I'll be, um, I'll actually get to play in one for a change, um, yep. which, which I'm looking forward to. That's at Southern Thrust, uh, for the boys down at Albany, uh, in the, the Lindial store, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, but it, they've got a game store down there that they've set a, a little, little tournament up in. And I gotta say the terrain setups that we get to play on that day, um, they're looking very, very nice. So I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to enjoy the theater selectors and stuff were quite open. So we'll mm. do a recap episode, I'm sure, um, with probably all four of us uh, across that. Um, Hobby-wise, I've finished painting some American Civil War stuff and starting to progress through my painting queue of miniatures, which is fantastic. Um, really tossing up now what is the next bolt action piece mm. that I want to work on now that my Bulgarians are finished. Um, does, does that and, mean extra Bulgarians or a new force or, or something else? Uh, it may end up being, um, well, not necessarily a new force, but the, the, the painting of one of my existing forces that I've got. That um, So I might do, for example, I've got some Japanese that are there at the moment. Um, uh, no bamboo spear fighters, um, just, a, just a more regular sort of um, army force. Um, but yeah, I've got those that I want to uh, just do up nicely and, and just try and get them moved from where they are, which is essentially base coated through to a nice level of completion um, if I could do that across all of them that's about another 1500 points worth of um, Japanese army that'll be painted up and I've got all the paints ready to go off the yep. painting guides nice and simple tabletop just um, get them done uh, 1500 in Japanese is actually quite a few models because <coughs> there's not many um, expensive units outside of infantry uh, yep. which will have you know 10 or 13 models each per squad anyway um, and there isn't yeah, I didn't all that, count how many <laughs> that, uh, when, when I last looked at Japanese there actually isn't all that many warlord models for anti-tank guns and all that kind of stuff you do need to go digging to find the extra pieces that are in the rule book um, yeah. so it is a little bit of a tricky thing but you know the, the 3D printing will get you where you need to be if there's anything that's gone missing oh, most of the tanks are covered uh, with, with warlord resin and that kind of stuff um, and even a lot of the um, 
like the fixed artillery pieces and, and weapon teams and things like that. Um, there's a lot of alternative third-party manufacturers out there that cover them. Um, and there's a stack who, you know, I've, we've, I've used some of their products before, um, you know, through, through different means. And they're, you know, they're not quality wise. There's no, there's no issues there, right? Like it's, it's, there's, there's not really many third parties on the, on the market at all that I would look at and go, Oh, the quality's not great. I'm like, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't see them for the world war two stuff. Like, and that's probably because most of the people that are interested in it are actually interested in it. Right. And yeah. 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 And it's not just a game piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of the Japanese, do you have any kind of, how's it going to come together? The basing, are we thinking like jungle Singapore kind of thing? Is it going to be like Pacific beach theme kind of stuff? What do you, what do you envision? I, I'm going backwards and forwards. The idea of having them as a coastal defense force um, is quite attractive. Yep. Uh, uh, and so that naturally would have an element of jungle vegetation um, mm. or jungle-ish vegetation. Um, but I'm thinking, yeah, shoreline, uh, shoreline coastal sort of stuff. So it'll almost be not quite the same. I was almost thinking just like just flat yellow sand and, yep. But instead of being a desert, you put a little bit of water and a tree on, like a yep. bit of bush yep. on there, and you go, you know, it's it's, you know, it's island coastal um, for the Pacific space. So it's probably not that yellow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. desert yellow is probably a bit strong. Yeah, a bit but, more um, paler. Yeah, probably yeah. a bit paler. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, for me, uh, I am finally discovering allies. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, uh, I've tried tried americans a couple of times probably painted them three times since i've started bolt action uh and (laughs) i don't hold on to them for very long i don't know what it is but um and i had a hard time i've done soviets before and and brits are probably something that i know the least about um but got a good deal with some bridge powers just Mm. watched a bridge too far um for the you know, I watched it once when I was a kid and I can't really remember it, but I probably watched it in, in the last week or so. And I'm like, yes, I think I've made the right decision. <laughs> it's a really, really good movie. Um, yeah, uh, it is. It's absolutely amazing that the... Um, I, I watched some videos on it about creating A Bridge Too Far and, and the extent that they did, like uh, keeping the historical accuracy, uh, the, the power drops that they did, they used just as many planes as they did in the war and they, they filmed it all in kind of one shot all right there in Holland and a lot of places are real where, where, where they actually filmed it and where it happened uh, and, and, and almost all of the actors uh, had an opportunity to talk with many of the famous people on the British side who fought there and, and really mm. studied under them to actually portray who they were and, and were very uh, careful on selecting their language they, they wouldn't, you know throw out quotes that, that that person would have not naturally said and, and these kind of things. So I yeah. thought I thought that was actually really cool. Um, and, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but but practical effects really do it for me. I'm, I'm not really super into <laughs> CGI, even though they do the kind of, like, uh, theatrical death, you know, when they get shot oh, and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that, that does take it out for me. But the rest of it was really cool. Anyway, so... Movie's cool. No, the good. Force is awesome. I've got heaps yeah. of medals, and medals I really like. Uh, there's just just some just some interesting poses in there, so that that's going to be fun. And um, yeah, I mean, I've done Germans forever, 
but these Brits specifically have camo as well. So that's actually interesting for me to paint rather than just, you know, yeah. a, a flat color and, and whatever else. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's fantastic. And I, I think you'll have, um, you have quite a bit of fun, I think, playing with British, knowing how you play. I think they'll give you a lot of Yeah, and, and especially from, from, from our early episode where we're talking about Brits, uh, that really opened my eyes to how much variation there is in their style of play. And that, that actually really excites me. So I'm going all in with Brits. Um, I've kind of cancelled every other hobby project that I have. I'm, I'm out of. I did all, notice. I'm out yeah. of all other systems and really, really homing in on on, on Bolt, which is awesome. Um, for a little while, my Facebook feeds, for example, was just simply you going, "Okay, I'm moving this on. I'm moving this on." I'm like, "What? What? What is happening?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I changed jobs and all this kind of stuff, and I just want to focus on 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 the hobby that I love the most. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's going to be all Bolt for me. Um, but yeah, uh, just on that, there is some cool things I've got aside here. So uh, these are these are some terrain pieces from Dark mm. Castle. So that's a new MDF um, terrain company out of Sydney. So Callum sent these, and this pack of of terrain ruins I've got here is thirty five dollars. It's so cheap. Um, it's really hard to argue. Um, with his pricing, uh, and just about every other day, there's something else that's just come out in his line. The problem is, it's so cheap that you want to buy every single piece that he has, which seems to be what's happening with a couple of the players here in Perth. But yeah, uh, to, to give you a representation, like this terrain piece here, I mean, here's, here's, here's a little um, you know truck that I've got for just, just yeah. for scale. So, so the pieces are huge, um, and you know. All it was was wood glue and, and just, just put it together in the way that's meant to be and it was ready to go. Um, so I'm, I'm actually really happy with that stuff. Um, but I've act- you, I think I must be. I think I got you, a, you must be close to almost having a table's worth of terrain now, right? I, I, I do, actually, for buildings. Um, yeah. I, the next thing I need to figure out is um, any kind of foliage and that kind of stuff. I need a, I need a, I need a nice way that I can produce a table of trees that doesn't cost an arm and a lick. Um, and I then should, I was going to say, I should let you borrow the terrain tutors, terrain essentials book. Cause that has yep. a stack of information in that. Um, and the other thing I want to do, I, I I'm going to play around with it. Uh, normally you, you put trees on, on its own basic basing and it's its own little piece of scenery. And that would be dense terrain and bolt action and that kind of stuff. But uh, I might, I might play around with just, just giving it like a, a metallic base. So I could, I can just put just as many trees as I want in that specific spot and take paste pieces away and that sort of stuff. And then yep. I've got a game map. <laughs> so, um, Andy from the Warriors Den in Queensland, he sent me this, um, and this is a uh, geek villain gaming mat. It's a yeah. six by four. Um, I was a really huge fan of the cigar box battle mats that we we got for the club at different points in time. I like yep. this style of cloth mat yeah, over say, the it's neoprene. Um, yeah. it, it is slightly oversized six by four. So the idea is that you just put some crummy foam hills underneath and then you've got modulation yeah, on the board right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just something about that texture and stuff that I, that I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got, it's got vegetation on it. It's got roads. It's got a river. It's, it, it's, it's, it suits what, 
would be perfect for bolts. And so. it does. I was going to say, and it does exactly what it needs to, right? Which is when yep. you throw it over the table, over a bit of polystyrene foam or something like that. Yep. And, um, you know, straight away you've got detail on your map. You've got a little bit of, you know, yeah, the undulation, like you said. Um, you've got things to play on and around. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's very, very yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's, that's cool. Normally we do these... Um, magnificent boards but storage can always be a bit of a pain with that sort of stuff and also transporting them to events so i just wanted something i can just throw in the car at any given time and have a game of bolt um so i think color me jealous (laughs) i think we talked everything hobby oh oh sorry sorry one more thing one more thing one more yeah because nobody probably even knows what these are um yeah yeah so uh mike lambo uh he's an amazon indie author and he produces these kind of um, war game books that are meant for solitaire. Um, huh. What interests me is a uh, is typically hex and shit war games are very expensive in Australia, specifically for shipping. So uh, things made by GMT or whatever else. Uh, any really any war game that comes from the US specifically can yeah. cost an additional $50, $60 in shipping for, you know, a box that's not that much bigger than, than Advanced Squad Leader. So I I don't... I've never been able to justify in my head that it makes sense to buy that stuff. Um, but these, uh, you know, they're, they're print-on-demand, which means Amazon prints them in Sydney or wherever you are in the world. Uh, mm. Shipping with Amazon is, is free if you have Prime. Um, so it's $25 and they print it on demand. You get it in two or three days. Um, and it's pretty good. And he's got a whole series. So, so this one's his latest one. It's hostage rescue. And and this is kind of like a counter strike that you play with, with chits and all that kind of stuff, but more the most. So he's got fields of Normandy, battles of Normandy, beaches of the brave, which is, um, D day race the Bastogne. That that's, that's, um, Ardennes. Uh, so he's got a lot of World War II um, solitaire games. I've tried about five missions of this. I actually really like the style, uh, and it's inspiring me for the idea of ever kind of producing my own kind of game and being able to release it on Amazon. You don't actually need a publishing agency or anything like that. You you basically upload a PDF, and they scour it. They make sure that you're not putting on anything illegal, and then it's published, yeah. and that's it. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how that's put together. Um, so that, I'll, I'll probably carry, I'll probably collect more of his stuff soon. Uh, and I'm on I'm on the on the hunt for anything else that's similar. There's a lot of um, pencil RPG books that people have produced, mm-hmm. but but war games is it doesn't seem to be something that's been super popular, other than kind of print and play stuff that you might find on Board Game Geek. War Games Vault, that kind of place, yeah. but it's it's hard to know what is good. But Mike Lambo is good. <laughs> yeah, and 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 owning only a couple, but only a couple of the um, the GMT games in my collection. Um, and like I bought the Men of Iron Tripack series, and yeah, that was to get that shipped across was considerable. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, in in the grand scheme of things, in relative, but. Uh, well, I think uh, that, that's probably a good summary of, of where we've been. And the other yeah. two guys, well, they're not here, so it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Um, they, they, they do it on GNT. It's fine. Yeah. We're still, we're still you know, they, they, three they, episodes but they, behind. 
they buy miniatures, they paint them. You know, yeah. I think I think you're caught up with that. They do the standard. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they play bolt action. Speaking of, we should be talking yeah. about bolts. <laughs> so, the topic of board control. Um, so, as always, when we do these sorts of talks, and wanting to give ideas on practically how you can apply it within game and things like that. Um, this. If we miss something or if we don't cover something or if we cover something you don't think is necessarily that you know, effective or important, that's fine. These are just our interpretations of what we think uh, on, on all of these different topics. Um, and but, but we think board control is obviously not limited to bolt action. Um, it's, it's available. You, it's really across multiple different war game systems and has been for a very, very long time. Um, Hex Encounter games, for example, as we were just talking about, they, they actually use normally a zone of control system where you you have a free movement up until the point where your enemy is essentially directly one square away or two squares away uh which then you suddenly are restricted in what you can do that's mm. a form of board control um but we're going to relate to what it looks like in bolt action uh how you can apply it things to be aware of when you do it things to be aware of if you're having it done against you um, and we'll just try and talk through some of those things uh, with examples where we can so that we can equip you guys to use the knowledge rather than just oh it's great theory I was just sitting here can't do anything with it um, we want to try and do something a bit more than that so so when we talk about board control um, predominantly board control is your ability to influence uh, counter or impact what's happening on the board through any various means that's going to give you some form of advantage in the area of play and and i say the area of play because it's just it's not just the board it's also how you build your lists it's also how you engage with um, what your opponent is doing in their strategies uh, it's also how you match up your units against your opponent um, and those things can happen before you even get onto the board um, you know, when you're sharing lists and things like that um, and really you May, if you were able to say that you've done board control 100% successfully, it's because you've locked your opponent out of it. So mm. you've actually taken away all of your opponent's ability to impact the board and you control that uh, that whole board. That's very easy to say. That's very, very hard to do um, mm. because you generally play a two-player game and your opponent is trying just as hard to control the board themselves. Um, almost a bit like a chess game. Um, not quite. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it is a turn-based game. Uh, turn-based game. I mean, sure, the activation system isn't to your favor to being able to decide what you can and can't do and how you can dictate the flow at every given point. There's ways to manipulate that, of course, with your list in you know Snap Two and whatever else. But um, yeah, I mean, this this is probably my perfect for this call between us. My greatest falling in bolt action at this point in time <laughs> i've grown as a player since we've started this podcast i think that i'm much better at designing lists now and i'm more comfortable with um i guess the engagements and deciding what's important but yeah i mean board control is something that i aspire to have <laughs> uh but it's not something that i've been able to necessarily define it's it's tough because uh, i guess uh any kind of decision making that you that you have it can't be static it's gonna have to change with your next opponent next terrain piece yeah. next 
bit of, uh, you know, if, if their army list is slightly different than you faced them last time, they're learning from you, you're learning from them. Um, you, you're never going to have a formula that has everything, um, but it's about capitalizing on what's important. And if you can't, mm. what, what I've found is I've, I've tried to be everywhere for a long time in this game. And that basically means that I'm, I'm deploying to the point where I am scattered across the board to be able to anticipate a threat anywhere, but not yeah. be able to capitalize on a large threat in one place at any given time. Um, and I've, I've been really trying to come up with a way to uh, mentally figure out what's going to work for me in general. Um and it and it, it's quite tough. Uh, I've gone to the extremes in my recent games of of, of really trying to do the desktop style of play, which is a, which is an old forty k term where you where you're basically boxing all your troops together, um, which is ideal for the fact that you can have maximum firepower on a particular unit in a particular sector, uh, yeah. but it leaves you weak across the board everywhere else, and it actually be, can be counted quite well in bolt action there's a number of things that that just doesn't work and and that's you know you've got to be an inch away from your own units to be able to shoot uh, and there's a lot of templates that can that can go through and really make <laughs> that a bad, bad day time. <laughs> and, and, and and you know uh, it, it's easily countered with with an airstrike an artillery piece a nebel all this kind of stuff so it's it's really hard to do but i find that when i analyze games that have not gone in my favor it has been because of you uh, not to the extent of Warhammer Destar, but it's been because somebody can capitalize with two or three units that can break a flank that yeah. is lightly defended by one or two because I've initially deployed my whole force scattered across the board to, you know, anticipate anything anywhere. So yeah. deciding on how much to uh, sort of commit to a certain front or, or whatever else is, is really where I'm at of trying to discover board control. And obviously, this is different per mission, per opponent, terrain, all that kind of yeah. stuff. But um, let's get some uh, general concepts out of the way and see where we can improve on that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that's a really good baseline to understand where um, a lot of people probably, when they're starting to play bolt action and they're not necessarily, they're maybe not even wanting to think this deeply about how they play the game. They're just playing the game. Perfectly fine. Um but for those who, you know, I, I always remember Brad at one of the tournaments that we held and, um, you know, I made some comment about going, oh, you know, you really should plan to do this or that and whatever. And he turned and he looked at me and he's like, does it look like I'm someone that has a plan? <laughs> he just he just was running things forward. And, um, you know, th th that's generally how he enjoys like mm. just to play is like he's, he's he enjoys the hobby and the craft element of it um you know meticulously and and really does fantastic jobs there um but he doesn't stress about being the best player necessarily on the day he's there to have fun and roll dice um but when you are looking to um start assessing parts of the game a bit differently and understanding what you are doing and how things are actually running typically jacob everyone's in a similar spot to you where they're, they're so used to going right well, i need to watch out for the flamethrowers i need to watch yep. out for that i can't bunch up because the multiple rocket launchers are going to cause me a bad day uh okay they're bringing a mg 
um, Bryn Carrier spam. So I know that I'm going to get hit by two or three pins every turn on each unit along that line. So maybe I do want to bunch up a little bit so I can force you know yep. some different things. So there's a lot of the the key part of that is there's a lot of reaction that you're that you're building into that mindset, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it means that when you're talking about wanting to gain some sort of board control you're already doing it from a reactionary standpoint and yeah you can do you can do a counter punch effectively in bolt action and, and basically take a hit and then hit back harder you, you the mechanics typically will allow that if you if you set it up right but but generally if you're if you're at a point of and and what you're describing is being overextended um where, mm. where you, you tried to spread your strength across the entirety of your line, um, but then you can't bring any of that strength necessarily to support uh, an overwhelming odds. You might be able to equal those odds, but you actually can't exploit beyond the stalemate. You, you just hold it up. Um, for a defensive mission, that's okay. Like if mm. you're playing point defense, for example, um, all you actually want to do is kind of hold your opponent at bay and, and limit the number of victory points they're going to be able to get. But for something like sectors, um, yeah. just sort of sitting and, and especially when they can come on from almost any board edge, um, that's not what you want to be doing. You don't want to be so stretched out that your units can't support each other in what turns into a, a crazy melee um, in most of those circumstances. Um, so you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about um, some of the base that baseline concept. So let's talk about what does board control look like? What what? So when we're playing a game, when we're setting up with our army lists, um, what what are those things that can actually create board control, create that influence, the the ability to counter an opponent's move? Um, and the first one, which you rightly mentioned up front, typically is deployment. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, we we did a whole episode on on the different ways to deploy. Um, this is like the next layer of understanding that deployment mechanic, which is when you're deploying your either your fixed assets or your big groups of infantry, uh, or even just multiple infantry in support of one another. And when we when I say support, I'm talking like within six to eight inches of one another, so they are yep. very close. Um, and the reason that you want to keep them that close is that 68 inches, first of all, you can cover it largely with an advance or you can definitely cover that distance in a run. So if that squad needs help, you can quickly redeploy the second squad to go and assist. That's, that's a really good way to look at it. That really negates that whole, I'm going to run one turn to then get closer to my threatened unit for the second turn. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I've played, made plenty of mistakes um in my my games of bolt action over the many years that i've been playing now and well, many since it came out that is but you know one of the biggest ones that that i had to learn was that it's not like 40k and your infantry units actually don't have the ability just to sit and absorb damage hmm. um, they're not space marines they are infantrymen and depending on what quality of infantrymen you've taken they're really bad infantrymen uh or they're really good infantrymen but um i learned with regulars for bolt mm. action and so i really had to understand a little bit more of the uh the finesse element because i was constantly facing veterans um and so i was i had manpower but i was generally outgunned and so i had to use that manpower to support uh i guess on more central 
objective or, or spots on the board that I wanted to choose to control and contest. Where you were saying, for example, that because uh, the other part of deployment is objectives, where those objectives mm. sit, where you choose to put your units in relation to those objectives, um, depending on how many infantry units that are in your list and why and where you have designed your list to sit, um, I typically try to commit if it's three objectives in the game or an odd number of objectives. I only pick half that I want to fight yep. for. Um, I look at the terrain and the best approaches through that terrain that my units could take and how much space would be around those units if they were getting hit by uh, enemy fire. So how much, how protected would they be? I choose the half of the board or the objectives that suit me. Typically, you want to, again, because you're wanting to control the board, you don't want to take an objective on the left flank and an objective on the right flank. Mm. You, you probably want to tidy up a middle one plus one of the others, um, again, depending on mission. But, um, yeah, I had to learn the hard way that one one unit just going to sit on an objective, that, that yeah. doesn't cut it because it only takes one lucky mortar shell uh, and half the unit disappears in most circumstances. Yeah, right. And then the unit just goes, I don't want to play anymore. Mm. <laughs> they just disappear. Um, so knowing where your objectives are going to go and... Yeah, generally, I, I try to put at least two infantry units um, with the sole purpose of they're going to go and control the board in that space. So even if I can't hold it, I deny that to my opponent. Um, yep. uh, but I really want to be pushing to try to control it. So then... Um, sorry, stalled for a second. Mm. You're all good. Um, so then there's also... You know what, what other forms then can it take? Well, there there is actually quite a few. So we've talked briefly about list building already, and so your list building and how you're going to impact your board control. There are some things that you can know before you even get to a table, before you even get to an opponent. There are some things you know, units or particular builds that you can have board control. So. Mm. Uh, and sometimes those are specific units, like uh, a multiple rocket launcher is a good example. Typically, that will give you board control because it will encourage your opponent to spread out. Mm. That means that you can use your your superior um, firepower or simply number of models to exploit a weakness in their line. Um, but it's also things like you could build your list to say, I definitely am going to have a truck full of SMG Soviets in... Um, outflank and so I'm yeah. going to be able to influence the board by because they will be in outflank whenever the missions allow um, same as uh, the Finnish Calcapathio which rock up on the back edge you will mm -hmm. always get some form of board control on the back yeah, edge definitely. using fins if you run that specialist uh, unit because that's exactly what they do um, but it goes a step further as well because you can turn it around and go, okay, so I, I know what is in my list and my force uh, and I'm using a theatre selector uh, like the 150th um, Panzer uh, Battalion, I think it yep. is, uh, which is the, they're basically all dressed up in American uniforms and yep. they go in and, and they can't the be whole targeted. army they're... is, yep, can't be targeted um, 
uh, or not targeted until their conditions are met. They're within a certain uh, distance of, yeah. Yeah, which is like 12 inches. Submachine gun range is mm-hmm. um, pretty scary. Um, uh, and I'm pretty sure they've also got a unit that prevents the opponent from outflanking as well. It's a little bit more yep. expensive, but yeah, you're paying points for board control. Yes, you are. Yeah, and, yep. and board control in probably one of the truest forms um, where you literally are just going, you can't touch me. Like you literally can't touch me. Um, and, you know, that can be very challenging to play against. Um, I think I've played against it once in my career of, of casual games and lineup and things like that. And it was sort of a half joke, sort of a, nah, let's do it. And um, once you understood how to fight it, it wasn't so bad. But I tell you what, going in with fresh eyes of like, I mean, I've just seen what this play and I'll give it a crack. It was, I was... I had no control in that game. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so um, another example would be when you take uh, a a large percentage of or um, a complete army of um, cavalry, be it um, Polish lancers or Manchurian uh, riders or, or, in fact, really any cavalry that can charge into close combat your board control with those is going to be quite sufficient not only do the cavalry move really fast um but they charge at that fast rate of 18 and so Mm. you know you bring one unit on and the next turn it can charge 18 that means if you ran the unit the first time you've covered 36 inches of the board there's only 12 inches left um you know from back edge to back edge like that that's significant um yeah, and you really control need to... of the board doesn't mean winning the game. Those are different things. Yeah, but that, that's um, but they do generally go hand in hand. If you can control the board and influence and impact, um, you you are stacking your advantages to win. Mm. No, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, fast moving units is definitely something to consider, uh, and then really, I guess, pre planning. What is this going to do within? Turn one of, of fast moving on the board to somewhere safe, and then to turn two, where is it going to go after that? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this whole time I've been thinking in my head that um, I am very comfortable playing veterans. Um, it just it gives me it gives me quite a confidence to be able to um, particularly win one on one fights and that. it's something that I don't really need to worry about and it it seems to work in my favor a lot but you were mentioning earlier how you uh, have learnt the game playing regs Uh, and that that regs give you that extra one or two squads and you need to you need to utilize those to overcome bets Um, and you naturally have more board control because you have more units you have more positioning you have more ability to apply pins maybe not casualties um, but that that also creates uh, essence of, of where things need to be. You can really put a threatening p- place on the board, regardless of killing the unit. Yes. Um, and that that's a really interesting approach. And I, I I'm I'm gonna steal it. <laughs> I, I, I need to do it. I, I think it's, it's and, fine. And, and because uh, how I play the board how i play the game i'm naturally outnumbered at any given point in time and it means that i need to succeed parts of the boards to to actually do anything meaningful um Mm. but it always means that there are opportunities that that are that are missed um yeah and yeah that that, that's that's really interesting we're yeah we're, we're really going into the list building here about um board control but 
it's it's essential to doing it right in a way. Yeah, it is. And and I think it's important to understand that a lot of these things that we're talking about and some of the practical examples that we're trying to, to point to, um, you know, they, they all go hand in hand. So, so if you know what your list is going to be able to do and you know what the objectives are and you deploy to try and take advantage of those objectives and you support your squads um, as best as you possibly can for those objectives... Um, like that's already four things, right? That that we've ticked mm-hmm. off, but that has put you in a better position to use and and influence the board where those units are deployed than simply not having a plan, just throwing a list together, deploying in a spread, um, you know, yep. defensive line, uh, and then not actually knowing what objectives you want to go for. Like they're, they're very different positions, um, but it's it's even the and you talked about it a little bit then, um, like veterans typically are going to outgun a regular unit in a one-on-one fight. Mm-hmm. So your composition of your units when you're thinking about board control, when you go past deployment and you're now in the game, it still harkens back to your list building, but in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, what weapons do they have? Are you are you running combined squads that have multiple different weapon loadouts? Are you running just rifles? Are mm-hmm. you running... Um, squads where they are only using one weapon type. Um, mm-hmm. Not all nations necessarily have the same access to all those different options. Um, Soviets, for example, they can pretty much choose whatever they want and then get a unit worth of it. Yep. Um, Germany is pretty much. It's pretty place. close. Yep. Yeah. American Britain, not so much. Britain has a few that they can still do that with. Um, America struggles to really get. Um, a lot of focused units that are just on that yep. one weapon system. America gets other benefits, though. Um. That that that's one thing that that really goes in my favor, and and that's that I really kit out my <coughs> squads with the ben- benefit of being German, that they will have anti tank capability, that they will have rapid firepower with a lot of ARs and whatever else. That it gives yeah. me confidence that they're like a tool that can fit any job um but you are paying to do that but it's like look even my infantry are have an anti-tank threat um so it allows me to have allows me to be a threat anywhere on the board to anything that's going to face and and that actually you know what what you're talking about there and, and the way that you're framing up is you know my unit can be a threat to any type of opposing unit um that that is board control by its mm. weapon loadout so yeah. uh you you know that you're gonna it doesn't matter whether it's an armor car or a tank or an infantry unit or a team or um heaven forbid the poor medic um you know it, it doesn't matter you're going to be able to engage with that target um that's board control yeah. now because it's driven by the weapon at that point your board control changes from simply being a a vague sort of space that you're going to occupy when you send the unit in it now starts putting measurements on what that board control looks like you have you know the range of your rifles you have the range of your smgs you have the range of your assault rifles and the panzerfaust um etc etc whatever weapon if you've got a light mortar in the team um if you have uh, if it's a medium machine gun team, you've obviously got its weapons range uh, and its arc of fire. So then you can start thinking about the board being 
zoned by yep. those different weapon bands. Uh, infantry units, it's it's quite simple because it's just a circle, and so it's just the footprint of the different weapon ranges. Yep. And the other thing to be aware of is as those ranges get further away from your unit, uh, if you think about them in a color gradient of um, traffic lights being the center of those circles is red, um, the outside is yellow, and the, mm-hmm. um, the sorry, the outside is green, the inside is yellow, or swap those colors around if you want, which would yeah, makes sure. more sense to you. Um, you your, your areas that are closer, be it generally in the six inch bubble range, that's gonna be your most effective shooting available because you've got point blank, you generally aren't gonna have to move. Um, you've, you generally can, you may not be able to ignore cover, but mm-hmm. you're technically bumping that cover down to soft cover at the worst because of that point blank bonus. Yep. Um, and so that's your most effective shooting ranges. When you start obviously going further out, that starts changing. You're firing less shots, you're firing less weapons. When you get out to the real rims, um, and that's where you start entering the the wonderful territory that is sevens to hit. Yeah. Uh, now you can, you know, a pin is a pin. And is oh, it, definitely. And are their own form of board control, which we'll get to in a second. Um, so sevens to hit is not, uh, it, it's not that your board control is zero. Um, it's just not as impactful as sixes or mm-hmm. fours or threes. Um, so that, that all plays its different part. Um, I think one of the biggest forms of board control that is most applicable across any force and by sheer mechanic of the rules where you don't even have to think too much about it is pins, um, mm. the placement of pins on units and, uh, and effects that generate pins. Um, it is the most obvious form of board control that you generally can provide because it simply can stop your opponent doing something when they fail mm-hmm. that order check. As my inexperienced shirkers are probably going to do at Southern Trust. Um, <laughs> the... The big thing, though, when you're, if you want to, so pin management is essentially the again that first foundational layer. Um, that second layer of what the board control piece looks like is when you start going. I have this weapon system or these squads available. Uh, I know that that unit over there, they are veterans, so I'm unlikely to kill them. But I need to do whatever I can to try and stop them or make them ineffective. Well, yep. if all three of these units that are in range go and take those shots just to generate the pin on the veteran mm-hmm. unit, if they all hit, that's three pins. Even if yeah. I don't kill anything, that the veterans are now on sevens. Yeah, they're, they're just the veterans are like, well, we can, we might be able to still move forward, but we're going to be ineffectual. Yeah, and that is what you want mm. because that's board control. You've impacted and influenced your opponent's units, and you've locked them out. It doesn't matter if it's um, only for the one turn. And that's the other thing about yeah. board control. Um, so I was going to get into this uh, as we roll forward, but this is a pretty good segue, so I'll, I'll just keep going. But Power on. Yeah. <laughs> board control is only ever temporary. Now, you can... So if you only think about board control for a single turn, and the reason that I would say that is because at the end of every turn, obviously the dice reset... And that means that nobody has any control until those dice start coming out again. Mm. Now, you can string multiple turns together in one area of the battlefield and potentially your unit that was just sitting on ambush, you're happy just to keep on ambush. That will still have be board control and yep. control that area. You're trying to lock down a, a spot that the opponent potentially would come charging or moving through. 
But the reason that I would say that it's only temporary um, is because if your opponent, for example, does have something in outflank and decides to bring that on, <laughs> yeah, that changes the, the, the shift of everything very, very quickly. Um, so you can feel like you have board control at the end of a turn because all the pieces were on the board and moving and you felt like you had the upper hand. You felt like you generated enough pins. You felt like you were putting pressure where it needed to go. But when that turn changes over, there's no guarantees that you're getting that first dice, and there's no guarantees yep. that any reserves or outflankers that your opponent has were going to stay there. Like, they, they could come onto the board, and all of a sudden, your board control equation um, flips, and suddenly they're in control because they just obliterated your unit with a flamethrower. Um, yep. And... It's also the same when you have, for example, a jeep and a flamethrower, classic combination, same as a jeep and a bazooka, or the equivalent in all the other nations. Um, they'll typically hide behind a building, out of sight, can't be shot. When the target makes itself available, it, they zip out the turn before. Yep. Now, technically, on the turn before when they do the zipping out, they are vulnerable, um, but nothing else is really left to move, and so they're safe. But that only lasts for about a turn um, because they're about to get shot up if they don't By get the everything. Dice out. Yep. You've seen it before, right? Oh, can... well, well. If you if you require that next pull, you're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to have that. Don't bank your entire right? strategy yeah. on it. I guess is 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 the key point there. Mm. Um, no, that, that. Yeah, I can think of a million games where it's not gone in my face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and sometimes you know, um, and so can I. Just for the record, yeah. okay. um, the the where it comes into its own, I guess, is is how do you tie that level of board control or that threat? Because um, when you're mm. when you are the one applying the board control, you are the threat. Yep. When you are on the receiving end of board control, you have to use your threat assessment to dismantle the situation and, and actually unpick your opponent's plan. Mm. But when you are the threat and you have a jeep with a bazooka, that's going to be within point blank on a tiger in the rear. Let's, let's make it really bad yeah, yeah. with no cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when you're in that place where you are actually going to be the threat and you are going to be able to execute, um, let's say that you've got an extra couple of dice in the bag, so the odds probably are going to be in your favor, but the tiger's already activated, so there's no threat from the tiger killing you that turn. Um, you know, you have the board control uh, to go in and take that tiger out whenever you want. You don't mm -hmm. have to wait. You don't have to do it immediately. You don't have, but you can wait. Um, you know, you don't have to wait if you decided that's where you want to get your kill for the turn, or if you had yep. to get rid of it to block line of sight for something else. Um, you know, that that's all fine. But recognizing that whilst the board control is temporary, there's also a timing element to it. Um, yep. It's not. It's not simply just you automatically have board control. Um, you need to be able to play it right at the right time. And that's where when you, even at the start of this episode, when you were talking about it changes for every opponent, it changes yep. for every battle and every mission and every terrain setup, and it's true. And so to really get the most out of board control, it does take just, you got to do that intentional practice that Gorchin talks about of like, mm. this is the focus, this is what I'm here to do, and I need to try it as best as I can to reach, to reach that outcome. Um, 
But I mean, if, if I think about some of the units that I use for board control more specifically, so I love using um, my, one of my favorite combinations is, and it takes three dice to do it, so it's not yep. an efficient combination, but it is fun. Um, it's, a, it's a truck filled with um, a unit of 10 guys, be it close combat assault rifles or submachine guns um, with a flamer team in the same yep. truck. And so it's it's a three dice move, um, which generally is turn one, um, they'll move up to be safe. Turn two, they'll probably get into position to drop out. If I'm lucky, I'll get them to be able to be dropped out to be useful in turn three. But generally mm-hmm. turn three is when they get out and then start hunting their, their objective down. Um, but it's really, really, if you're waiting till turn three, just put them in outflank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because then you can it's just... It's the same thing. And you can generally just bring them on. They're safe. They've got up the field the whole yeah, way. Yeah. And you can suddenly put with, with 10, even with 10 rifles and a flamethrower team, even if you didn't take the assault rifles or submachine guns um, on your unit of choice. Yep. Just a flamethrower team and 10 rifles suddenly appearing on a flank um, can actually be a real big problem. Mm. Uh, it, it's You need to pick your moment and you need to be aware of what else is on the board around them because uh, it's very easy to commit something and then realize that you made a mistake and you've just got those two units killed for no benefit yeah. whatsoever. Um, t- typically, I learned that lesson when trying to outflank veterans thinking they were in cover, of course, and I thought, I'm like, I've got this, it's fine. Yeah. They're all gonna, they're all just going to, like, whatever, it's fine. And then the attack basically bounced. I think I killed maybe one, and they turned around and went, and you're not in cover and you're only yeah. regular, <laughs> and they just gunned me down. I was like, I won't do that again. That was dumb. Uh, but, um, so that was that was an instance where I thought I had board control, but I actually didn't because I yep. hadn't set myself up in a position to get the board control. Mm. I just I just sort of went in all guns blazing, going, yeah, she'll be right, mate. It'll, it'll yep. be fine. Yeah, uh, but- and it, and it wasn't. But those aggressive plays are um, definitely a way to retake the initiative that has been yes. lost and yes. with those units not being on the board for a few turns you're probably on the back foot in some way um but the idea of outflank is your opponent can't anticipate where it's coming from and even if even if they have a good idea of which side it might be more beneficial and, and you may have thought that in your head when you were doing the deployment um yeah. they won't know exactly where um, so they can't, they, and, and if they commit resources to, for anticipating it, that means you can make the advantage elsewhere. Yeah, generally. Yeah. Um, so, and the, the simple reality is if you if you know that your reinforcements are coming in on the left and yep. let's say that your opponent has appropriately deducted that they are coming on that side. So they divert a chunk of their resources in preparation. Um, that's less of their army on the board to deal with your army that is on the board. So, you know, that's actually a fantastic opportunity to look at your units and the board, uh, look at the fire lanes that your units can have or that your fixed weapons can have and think about where can I set these units up so that they have control over that space. One of the things that we haven't talked about just yet in terms of what board control can be used for um, is actually in victory point denial. And sometimes that is simply uh, being aware, if you're playing a kill point mission, 
being acutely aware of how powerful your opponent's guns are mm-hmm. and where they are pointing so that you don't put anything in the kill box. Um, but most of the time it's talking about um, if you want to protect an objective, uh, th- there are very few things that I am probably more scared of in bolt mm-hmm. action than having to go claim an objective that's guarded by a flamethrower team that is currently out of sight and on ambush. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 is, that is pretty terrifying. Um, generally, I've seen it where they'll be sitting behind the edge of a house. Uh, the objective is literally one inch from that house yep. uh, and they are just sitting on ambush. And it's like, if I go anywhere near that objective in order to claim it, I have to be within the six inch range of the flamethrower and I yep. will be visible and the flamethrower is going to take the shot and I can scream for cover as much as I want. It's a flamethrower and it doesn't care. Yep. And so yep. I'm going to, generally, I'm going to get hit on a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe on the four if I don't cross over that threshold of um, uh, of, of, of the yeah, half range for the flamer. Yep. Um, but that that the whole problem is that the whole conundrum is that that's me going in to get the objective. And if it's only my one unit, and let's say that I somehow survive that first flamer, I've done my activation for the turn. So unless they run out of fuel, I'm then sitting point blank for another shot yeah, as yeah. soon as he activates the next turn. And you can guarantee if his dice comes out first, he's going to set me on fire again. Yep. Um, and that is the part that makes it scary. I just put it in quotes because I'm not scared mm-hmm. technically. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yes, a very... Uh, efficient defensive option for locking and, down an objective and 50, piece. Like yeah, a regular one for fifty points, and you just go. We're playing demolition. Okay, fantastic. Come and get my flamer. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, it's uh, you know, it's it's quite useful. Um, I and I and I think so. Th- you know, that's objective denial is how I see that as board control because you're essentially saying I don't want you coming anywhere near this and if you do I'm going to give you a really bad day Um, yeah and again because it's only 50 points the rest of your army goes off and does what it needs to do if you are playing demolition it means they can more aggressively hunt your opponent Um, you're already go for your your outflank maneuver if you need Um, and then the other big one uh, for um, or victory point denial or area denial for board control in particular is obviously your fixed weapon teams, your mortars, your heavy yeah. howitzers, multiple rocket launchers fall into this, um, although there's a bit more that they're associated with as well. Um, as much as people don't necessarily like the way the rules work, technically smoke is a form of um, board control because you're locking down line of sight very hard to make those things accurate multi-launchers mm. are a bit better because it's a multiple shot drop so it's simply more smoke that you're putting down um the smoke barrage is actually quite good that that one's um because that does the artillery scatter. observer yeah yeah because that one doesn't scatter and it's a it's a huge chunk of smoke that drops down on the field um but of course if you're using an artillery observer i would recommend thinking about how you can use that artillery strike as a area denial um weapon that you can then stop yeah you can just you can you can either force people to run away from it which is typical sorry my nose has been ridiculously um you can either yeah you can either use it as a area denial weapon that forces your opponent to move 
or if you know that they have stuff in outflank or reserve and you think you know where it's going to be coming on just put the marker in front of that and yep. put it put it sort of six to eight inches back um when they come on from reserve if they are anywhere near that marker they're immediately yep. basically going to come onto the board and then get pinned um mm. providing your marker obviously brings it in um but I have used that successfully against uh, multiple people where they wanted to bring, they deliberately refused their flank. And so they put everything on the left and the center, for example, left the right completely free. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay, they've got some stuff in outflank. It's either going to be deliberately on their left so they can really strongly hold that side of the board, probable, um, or they could be doing it on the right where the objective is and because they've got a truck with a bunch of troops in it so they might be wanting just to sneak onto that objective at the end and so what i did was essentially the majority of my force went to my right which was Mm -hmm. their left to counter what i thought correctly assumed actually that that that's where their push was going to come from but i was wrong about the um the other objective that's Mm -hmm. where the truck and the troops were so what I had done as a backup for myself um, was I'd used the artillery strike to put an artillery strike over on the objective and just left that there for the for the game until it came in. And that yep. held him off far enough away where he was like, I, I can't really Don't afford take to, that. to, to yep. take the risk that I'm not going to get the objective. And mm-hmm. so I essentially controlled that entire portion of the board simply by putting an artillery strike marker, yep. which then delayed for two turns. Mm. Oh, gee. Now, we, we were both disappointed it was delayed because he wanted on the objective and I wanted it yep. just to come in already. Um, but it, the actual effect of that was was that it he didn't want to go anywhere near it and so no one was holding that objective. Um, yep. in, in some missions, if you are having cumulative scoring where it's round on round, you add up where you're going or something like that, that that's actually a very viable way of managing the board. That that's, I, I I really like the idea of not committing that air and artillery strike in turn one. Yeah. I I think I think it's a wasted, wasted option to put it in their front line and you know they're going to have a turn of rallies or or even just regular moves that are just going to clear off that pin. It doesn't really make an impact, um, and particularly with artillery, it's not necessarily going to convert into many kills or anything like that. Not not wiping out a unit, that's for sure. Um, no, uh, that's that's a really nice idea for dictating the other side of the board that you might not be able to commit forces to. Same with the idea of, of the flamethrower, um, and I guess and one one thing that we could capitalize on taking the initiative on taking a sector that you don't have under your control is probably really getting a good grasp of what you could do with a very nice order dice pool of a snap two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's, uh, yes, we talked about that, um, board control is something that I need to think about a lot more, but snap two is, is something that I've completely avoided in this game. Cause I did, did the very early thing where you snap to every opportunity that you can, yeah. and then, then you're out of dice and, and, you know, things didn't really happen the way that you wanted to. So then I've avoided it ever since um, until the, the, the perfect opportunity is there, which is never. 
Um, and and my, my offices specifically are, are, are there to help with pins uh, yeah. more, more than anything else. Um, but yeah, I guess it, good players capitalize on a, a successful push that relates to several squads moving at the same time at the right time together. Um, and that part is probably the most critical. It's it's trying to activate multiple squads at once, which is typical. Obviously, that's what Snap 2's entire function is. But it's the right squads at the right time and for the right reason. And that is a lot harder to get right. So it, and and mm-hmm. when I say get right, I simply mean, as you say, to get the value out of a push, to get the yeah. value out of moving those units up the field. So typically... Um, I, I use Snap2 a lot, probably more yeah. than what I should, um, because I look at um, Snap2 is also it's one of the few types of orders that you can issue where you can affect multiple units at once. Um, the the other one is typically multiple rocket launches, simply mm-hmm. by the number of units you could possibly hit. Um, an activation of a vehicle that has multiple gun mounts and therefore can shoot at multiple units. They're probably yep. the other two big standouts that sort of pop in my mind. Um, most other interactions is one unit against one unit, mm-hmm. generally. So Snap2 gives you that space where if someone has just come on from outflank and you weren't expecting it, but you've got an officer there and two squads, for example, mm-hmm. you can go right well, instead of just moving the one squad here, uh, I'm going to move the officer and his squad. I'm going to move the officer to where he's safe, and I'm going to move the other squad to a defensive position. This way, I'm increasing my board control because I'm moving into cover or a better cover. Uh, I can also get some opening shots on the opponent before they disengorge their troops. If it costs me one of my two squads, that's unfortunate, but that's just also how the game goes. Um, If you've obviously got the first level lieutenant, because that was a second level lieutenant example. Yeah. Yep. If you've got your first level lieutenant, just move both. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got you've got that ability to right. So, um, I find there is a very there is a very steep learning curve with a snap to as mm. to whether or not you push too early or just miss the timing of the push. Uh, and I'm not entirely convinced that I have it down pat. Uh, in any sort of black art science um, or anything like that. Um, But I generally have found that as I've used it more specifically with a first lieutenant and two squads, um, or even sometimes a squad and a special weapon team, um, I've used it quite a bit with with my... trying to think if they are my handy tank rifle teams and my and one one of my squad's infantry for soviets uh typically because i would have multiple anti-tank rifle teams so i can afford to pull one off into this side r yeah and his whole objective uh and the squad that's with him is the the anti-tank rifle will open up first and attempt simply to get a conversion of a pin and probably possibly a kill yep uh if he hits, bearing in mind that he shoots sort of 30 inches, yep. um, if he gets the hit off, then it actually doesn't matter what the infantry squad do because mm. um, they, they, they're not there necessarily to automatically generate the, the pin or the hit. Um, 
they're there as bodies to exhibit that board control on the space. Yep, yep. If I lead it the other way, and let's let's say that I open up with the um, with the unit of infantry, uh, they've got the shorter range. They're typically going to be sixes and sevens to hit if they're in cover. Um, you know, which is not not too different to the mm-hmm. um, the anti tank rifle. But I often find the anti tank rifle because it's a small team, I can deploy it a little bit further up get in that minimum range um, as opposed to the maximum range and that that helps convert sixes rather than sevens um, but you know the big squad of infantry I want to be able to move them if I get that pin yeah. with the anti-tank rifle I don't want to start with their shooting and then go well the anti-tank rifle is not really good at exerting much control outside of shooting um, mm. and I don't particularly whilst I can move and shoot it it's not as effective as moving and shooting a block of infantry um, yeah. you know, and so it's it's also knowing and learning for your army, which you know takes a bit of learning anyway. What is the right order to activate those things to make mm. the most use in your board control? Um, because a unit of you know sort of ten infantry that might suddenly need to go. Oh, the anti tank rifle got a hit. We're going to run towards the objective now instead of yeah. um, take the advance because yep. we know that they're going to have to pass that order test. Maybe they've already had a number of pins on them already. Um, you know, maybe because of that one pin, maybe they actually now need a order check, which irrespective of whether they pass or not, still going to have one pin, which means it's harder to hit me. Yep. That's a really good way to, to, to look at it because, you know, the, the automatic decision would be move the big block see what it can do it's going to it's going to convert the most damage but um yeah, yeah i mean it's something as simple as an anti-tank rifle once you do that pin that squad's no longer uh, the threat that it was so you can make other decisions based on that that that's right and and i've heard gorchin describe it i think before as like it it's your 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 opportunity um tree of choices like mm. if you the what you're trying to do is make as efficient choices that you possibly can that give you the most branches in that tree for the next order dice or for the next mm-hmm. action because you the more control that you have over being able to choose which option you take in theory the better mm-hmm. that makes your game and I, I've, I've seen it work in games that i've played where by doing one thing like that taking an anti-tank rifle shot very quickly okay i need sevens to hit got the six, got the six, okay, you are hit by the anti-tank rifle, sorry in advance, uh, okay, yes, I killed a guy. But because of that pin, that unit has then failed their morale check by one, mm-hmm. and so they went down. And that meant that when I got to my infantry squad, I'm like, there's actually nothing else around us on the table. I can afford to take a run and get around the side mm-hmm. of this hill. I can't be targeted by anything for that turn. Next turn, I could advance up onto it. Um, or on the cusp of it and shoot down. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd led with the advance and tried to run the anti-tank rifle team over. Like, it's it's not the same. Um, yep. The survivability of the anti-tank rifle is just not the same. Um, it's good, but it's not great. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, definitely not. So Yeah, it's an interesting order of operations. Yeah and, yeah, and trying to tie the order of those operations into... How does that increase or change my board control? Mm. Now, up until this point in the podcast, 
we've only actually talked about board control in your favor. Yep. We've only talked about it as if you're the one that's in control of that space. Now, I certainly have had happen, and you probably have had too, where you're playing a game and you suddenly look at the table and you go, I don't I have... Do I don't have... Like, it's not that you don't have units, but you're looking at your choices of how you want to try and engage and you go, there's actually not that much that I realistically think I can do to change the status quo here because, okay, he's got two units over there and I've got one. Well, simply on dice, that's not going to work out in my favor. So can I do anything to support that unit? No. Mm -hmm. Well, do I pull that unit back to try and get it consolidated with my force? Okay, I could do that. What happens if I do that? Oh, sacrifice the objective. I don't want to sacrifice the objective. I want to fight to the bitter end. Yep. So that's that sort of thought process is, you know, and I've gone through it untold number of times. Like I can't even count. Um, but the the reality is that's when someone is actually experiencing board control for them. And I'm yep. having to, as I said, I'm now in threat assessment mode. I'm now trying to pick apart their plan. Uh, I'm now trying to understand what can I do to get myself back on track. Mm -hmm. um, so do you have any experiences like that that you can think about or talk of, about? Of, of how to retake the initiative, of, yeah. of how to, to, to make the best from a bad situation, yep. uh, that perhaps sticking to your initial plan that you need to deviate, uh, that you need to come up with something new, um, this is something that is probably quite hard to put into words and quite hard to give advice on because if you're in this situation, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> if you've been in this situation many times, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I think, I think you've got to... You've got to get to the point where you're going to have to expect that this will happen eventually. <laughs> and you need to you need to have some predetermined plans on on how to alleviate these issues and simply going down is not the way to do it <laughs> in yeah. every case. It's great when you need to save a unit, but then what is that unit going to do next turn? You know? Yeah. Um and yeah, uh, it's it's we were just talking about redeploying right there, and that that seems to have been my ticket to uh, making a bad a, a terrible situation not so bad, and that that is negating it. It's sure your unit isn't effective. It's moving backwards. It's probably repositioning to the stronger part of your force. Um, that's better than it going down. That's better than advancing forward unsus unsupported, maybe putting a pin on one unit, but what about the, the next one behind the wall or whatever else? Um, yep. Yeah, and all these little tricks we've been talking about throughout this whole episode have, have really opened my eyes to other ways that you can uh, overcome a situation where you're outnumbered. And that that's typically what I'm thinking of here. Um, yeah. And and it's what I've wanted to ask you this whole time. How? What do you do when you're in that terrible situation? What do you yep. do next? Um, and that's why I thought I thought we would start with you first. Um, yep. Because yes, the, the, I have some advice probably for those that are that are stuck in those spots. Um, the the first thing, as as you rightly point out, accept that this is a game, um, mm -hmm. and 
and very much importantly, that it's a dice game. And the best laid plans of mice and men are naught compared to first contact with the enemy. Now, that's a mismatch of a whole bunch of different phrases, but it's still true. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Probably the big thing, uh, my, I have a mental checklist that I go through um, right. when, when I'm in that situation. And generally, I'm in that situation because I tried to gamble with something and it didn't work. Yep. I thought it was probably going to be okay and something else happened and I went, oh, that was not a good idea. Um, Outflank has caught me a couple of times with things like yep. that where I'm like, I totally forgot that you had that there and I moved them into the open. That was <laughs> dumb. Um, the first thing that I look at in my checklist is what's the mission? So what what is yep. the objective of the mission? And, and the only reason that I start there is... If I am on an objective or can get to an objective reasonably within a turn without being wiped out, there is merit to staying there, going down yeah. and fighting on. Um, most of the time, going, as you say, going down just to try and save the squad is not the right move. Um, if, if the objective is not something that's in yeah. play. And typically, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at that for a long time as I can hold down multiple units with a down figure uh, and, and, and draw fire and ha have the opportunity to do things elsewhere. It's never going to work that way. <laughs> no one's no. going to commit multiple units to a down figure that's going to be harder to hit. Uh, and they, only, they'll see right through it. Yeah, it, it will work if they're on an objective occasionally. Yeah. And yeah. it depends on how determined the opponent is to get to that objective. So if you remember back to when we played the massive Budapest, Fortress Budapest game, and I had a unit of Bulgarians that sat on one of the objectives just in a castle. Now, that I am sure that they were hugging each other in a circle with blankets over their heads. Just they were, There were so many bullets coming into that building to get them. And they were almost completely pinned out, um, mm -hmm. but but the right because they were on an objective, the right thing for me to do was just to, to say, hold. "I'm really sorry, guys. You're going to have to go down again and just just hug that wall just that little bit tighter." Um, and you know, in, in the end, they, they they survived all sorts of things. They had no right to be surviving, if I'm brutally honest. But um, but it was the right call for that. Mm -hmm. But in most other situations, I would have pulled that unit out of the building and I would have yep. gone, okay, I, I need to um, even sometimes with the objective. Like I was outnumbered sort of six to one in, in that scenario. Yep. Um, and I was like, I, I really need to pull that unit back. Um, and, and in most cases, I probably would have because, as you say, redeploying backwards to, uh, to gain more support from your main force really is your is my second checkpoint so if the objective mm -hmm. stuff is not in play how do i pull back to get the unit support because what that does is put the fight back to a closer footing um and sometimes yep. the closer unit doesn't necessarily have to be a really powerful one um 12 inexperienced soviet rifles is by far one of the most mvp awarded oh, yeah, units that i've ever had in my armies um because when I rely, like people go, oh, but they're inexperienced. I'm like, yeah, but it's still 12 rifle shots. Like, yep. like the, the strength of the rifle doesn't go down. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I'm still throwing a decent number of dice. If it was a five-man squad, you're right. I probably yeah. would be overbaking yep. this. But it's 12 rifles. and um, Not to know, be so underestimated, that squad. Yeah, it yeah, always does and, work. And they're well, they're well known for that. Like, and they, yep. they get under a few people's skin for exactly that reason. But um, I love them. They're great. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the redeployment is quite critical. Um, obviously, mm. the redeployment actually happens in two directions. There's the unit running away to get mm-hmm. to a better position, and there's the unit that you send after it to shorten the length of time that they're unsupported for. Um, you, you do need to try to get both of those things to happen. Um, yep. And also don't don't forget that any any unit in the game that has a weapon is a, is able to be that support unit. But yep. you'll need to make sure that the support unit is targeting the right thing. So if a unit has already activated this turn, you don't want the support unit mm. shooting at that. You want to shoot at the stuff that hasn't activated. Um, and if it has already activated, you're looking for the stuff that does not have a pin, so you can force those order checks next turn. Uh, and if everything already has a pin, then you're really looking at the most high-value target, um, unless they have deliberately something like a flamethrower in yep. a Pioneer squad or something like that, and you've got a sniper as your support unit, then you kill the flamethrower. Um, so, um, yeah. when, we're, when we're talking about being on the defensive, that you've lost the initiative, yep. that you need to retake, um, things that come to my mind is that you could really, from a p- position that is, when you're on the defense, what's a very strong option is ambush. And that can create zones of control immediately. Yes. Ambush is best played aggressively to create zones of control that then the opponent is afraid to enter. However, yeah. it's fantastic when you're on the defense and you need to reassert dominance to a section. You might not be able to create more ball control outside of that zone, but it is a good way to dictate what the opponent may and may not do next. Yeah. And that's actually my number three checkpoint on that list is to go if 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 going down could help me but isn't the primary objective, uh, if I am too far unsupported from my force, so running away isn't really going to help me in the next turn or two, um, I'm just going to get cut down as I run away, um, then actually, yeah, ambush is the, is the, the better choice. Um, you know, because then you turn around and you go, if you get shot, you can go down. Yep. If someone moves close to you, then you, you can just wait for the prime, like you can wait for yeah. the preferred target and then just open up on them. Um, but it also means that, you know, if, if you get assaulted, well, you can wait for that super point blank two plus hits and yep. there's nothing they can do about it. Um, you know, if any sort of artillery ranges in on you, you can flick to down. Um, but also at the end of the turn, if something else happens on the field, and suddenly those enemy units that were bearing down on you suddenly have to change direction. And often this happens because your opponent is confident that they can wipe that unit out with their unit they've sent. So they'll go, right, well, I only need the one unit now to go over there, and this unit that we're going to peel off and we're going to go over here and do these other things. At that point where they've made it a one-on-one, activate the ambush and shoot them before the end of the turn. Yeah, um, yeah. And, but, you know, wait to the end of the turn to make sure everything moves away because what they've done 
is essentially giving you an extra turn that you didn't have before. Uh, and, mm. if, and if that unit that they've sent to chase you suddenly takes a failed order check because of the pin that you dealt from your ambush, um, you're suddenly back in the game of, of like, yep. actually, now that, now that board control has started flipping yeah, and this back zone in my is favor. secure. And you know what? You could probably just put them on ambush again and yep. do the same yep. thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, they're, they're sort of my three my three go-to methods that I look at, um, which are it's either the most efficient way to get victory points because priority number one is always play the mission. Mm-hmm. Can I pull back and reinforce? Um, so pull back with one squad, reinforce with another to equal or at least lessen the odds and increase my chances of being effective for the remainder of the game. Maybe I do a counter-attack on that objective later on. Um, or three put them into ambush as the best uh as you say the best of a bad situation to try to uh try to gain some sort of um defensive and aggressive buffer at the same time uh i've also you know to sell the unit really cheaply and make it hard for them to deal with um so you give it the ambush order so that you've got teeth to go and shoot at some stuff um but if they come out with some really big guns you can just dive away into a foxhole and put the, yeah, put the roof yeah. over it and go down um, and make that difficult. Uh, and, and and that that moves into the space of um, you're actually reversing the board control at that point, right? Because mm. if you're if you're able to with the ambush order, um, you're you're and you're aiming to actually get your opponent to invest more resources than what they want to do to deal with yep. your one unit. So you, that's that still is definitely in that space of turning that board control around. Yeah, definitely. doesn't matter if it's not going to be the effective piece that, that clears the board in that section. If they're having to place more resources to deal with that threat, yep. you've just gained control elsewhere. Yep. And there as well, in a sense, if that unit's still standing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so, yep. you know, it's... And, and again, a lot of these things are um, the rules of thumb, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and because they are situational. I I have stared down the barrel of an eighty-eight multiple times with a unit and just gone, <laughs> "You guys are screwed." <laughs> <laughs> um, and you look at the different options, and I'm like, realistically, probably putting myself in ambush is the best option that I've got because I can't get away or I can't do whatever. And then the eighty-eight goes. So you may as well go down because I'm not going to move. I'm just going to mm. shoot at you. <laughs> and you, yep. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, again, that goes back to the first comment where it's a game and it's a dice yep. game, and so things sometimes are just not going to go your way. Um, but uh, but hopefully that's given our our listeners a better indication of some of the practical things that you can consider doing. And definitely a great starting point for things to mentally prepare and consider. Yeah. Uh, and and realize that it isn't all lost <laughs> when no, you're on that side no. of the table. And uh, I, I would imagine that um, a lot of the things that we've been talking about in previous episodes about taking the initiative, about making those plays, just so you know, those aren't going to naturally just happen in the game from playing it. You need to think about it yeah. and you need to plan it. Uh, and, and, yeah. and especially with the, the idea of... Um, any kind of plays that, that relate to a snap too. I can yeah. tell you from experience, they don't just naturally happen. The, everybody who plays that way 
has thought it out and what they're going to do ahead of time. So Typically. you need to, you're going to need to be able to, to, to think about what your list is going to do on this mission, irrespective of who you're facing. Yeah. So, so as, as an example for that, um, and like I even did it for, I can't show you the picture because it's somewhere in this flip pattern. I don't remember what page it's on, but um, I actually, for, for example, for Southern Thrust with my list, um, and the lists are public, so I'll, I'm taking a 20 order dice Soviet list down. Oh, that's um, you. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, and, and how I got to that, and everyone goes, oh my goodness, 20 dice, like you're really cheesing it up and spamming units. And I went, look, there is some unit spam in there, I'm not going to lie. Um, but it's actually like the entire list, all 20 dice are inexperienced. Yep. Um, three of the infantry's choices are um, partisans that are also shirkers. Um, mm. So those shirkers, there's only five in each squad and the squads are going to take double pins and they have to take an order test every time they go to activate irrespective of whether they have pins or not. Um, and it's just, yeah. it's just like... Oh, okay, yes, there is some spammy stuff in there, but it ain't scary. Like, it's yeah. like you got five guys for 20 points, and I'll be lucky if I kill two guys with them. <laughs> so, so, you know, We're it's, just it's praying that they can generate more pins on your opponent than they can on you. Look, it's, yep. it's, yeah, which is hard because I'm already, I'm a two yeah, for one yeah. ratio against. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the reason that I want to take the list partly is, um, I'm really starting to experiment a bit more with multiple small unit um, okay. attack run and 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 using using lots of smaller you know what is considered less efficient units um, and trying to just drive you know how how effective can the pin management be when yep. I outnumber you sort of three to one in terms of dice yep. um, now there there is a there is two or three lists that I've seen already that if I come up against them um, to fight at the event, you know, my board control is actually going to be limited simply by what's in the opposing list because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the matchup of your lists and how you um, possibly could fight one another is also an element like plays into the, what board control you can possibly have. So I know that we, I know that there's a German armoured platoon that's going to be running around and I'm looking at my list going, I mean, I've got some anti-tank threats, to be fair, like I do. They die in a stiff breeze, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Have the confidence that within six turns, there's not enough turns to remove 20 order <laughs> <laughs> But yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to see how the multiple small units work, especially... You know, uh, being being on the on the other side of uh, primarily veteran, two or three pins on my expensive squad is terrifying. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll have to see how it goes. Like I've done, I've done a bit of, um, I've done some theory hammer um, about you know for the different missions where I think I need to try and set objectives and set deployments and and things like that to get the most out of those particular units and setups. Um, I. I've looked at within my army composition and the different lists that I'm now going to face. I don't normally see the list that I'll face in advance in a lot of my casual games. We just have a, 
typically we know roughly what we're going to bring and we just bring it. Um, mm. So to see all the event ones ahead of time, um, I was like, right, I need to get my thinking hat on, I need to understand what we're doing here, I need to... I need, you know, how am I going to fight that list? Um, and there's a few there that I'm like, there's no fighting in that list. There's uh, yep, just, yep. no. Nah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that, that would be quite interesting. Um, I'm looking forward yeah, to, that, that, to that's seeing a, how that runs. That's going to be really interesting. Like, we, we haven't had an event like that. Obviously, we like to share what our thought process is during the list building yeah. um, through to the community, but that's that's more about of a drive to get people talking about and excited about the event and that to realize that uh, here's the thought process we take. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it there is there is quite a lot of thought into something that how Gorchin would make a list or Jackson or, or, or whatever else. Um, but you can understand the decisions they made and as to why. And it really helps you understand how you can design your list to to suit you, what works for them, why did they choose these things. That's not just arbitrary and it's not just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not this crazy science that you could never comprehend on how, things were made so i really like the fact that we've been doing that for quite a while but we've never seen an events list pack um pre-event to my knowledge um generally we've um or generally i have always kept them you know behind the curtain so to speak um yeah and there's a few different reasons for that one of them is you know it brings a bit of suspense on the day um definitely we always um we probably could have done it, to be honest, because a lot of the um, events that we would have run before with the different restrictions in place, none of the lists were cheese. None of the lists were yep. overpowered. None of the lists were gross. Okay, the very, very, very first one that I ran um, when we started getting back on the horse, you know, three and a bit years ago, um, yes, we did have a bamboo spearman list there, which was just... not. It was a bamboo spearman list. But... Um, yep. But we haven't actually, like, we've. Had, I think we've had one or two squads of bamboo spearmen that have come through throughout yep. the remainder yep, of the, the last not, bit of time. Not, not the hundred not minis. platoons worth. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, but I, yeah, I do think that taking the multiple small units um, and getting everyone's view of, you know, people thought they were putting in high dice totals at sort of, you know, 14 and 16 around that place. They're going, oh, it's, you know, it's a bit more than 12. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, yeah. that was 24. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but but it's, it's sort of, it's something that we don't see a lot of in Perth. I think it's going to be really good of, um, good of us all to go down and enjoy. Yeah, um, try something different. Yeah, and and yep. you know, and you touched on it briefly as well. Like one of the reasons that multiple small unit stuff works um, or, or can work, it's not proved by me yet, but it Hoping. can work. Um, <laughs> is is also down to the different sort of board presence and board control you can have, where it simply is, I have more dice than you, ergo I have more chances to put a pin on your units before you have a chance to put a pin on mine. Um, and by using that as a form of board control, um, simply the number of dice that are there, uh, the cost generally is that you have to make them inexperienced, which means that those pins are a little yep. bit harder to come by. Um, well, I'm excited to see how it goes for you. 
Um, yeah. Really, really good to see that the Perth community has embraced the Albany uh, gaming crew because, as as most of us would know, we're gonna the players are gonna be traveling four to five hours to get there. These yep. these guys have always been very present at all the Perth City events, uh, so they've I been making think, the effort for a long time. Yeah, I think they've only missed one of the formal events and then maybe a couple of the smaller pieces um, yep. that weren't necessarily big formal events. They were just things we did on the side. Um, but but literally for all of the big formal ones that we've sort of pulled together to run, um, they've always had virtually... Um, some form of representation be it one or four guys or three guys or whatever um yeah so i'm looking forward to returning the favor and uh yeah, and that, sending a few of us down there um to have a bit of a, a bit of yeah. a dice and, off and they've got plenty of players too so it seems like a lot of people in perth have got the same idea yep so we're yep. my understanding at the moment after looking at the player count from gilly who's obviously got the 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 proper counts so I'm because I'm a player I'm not a TO yes. I just play um, yeah, we're at 17 with yep. um, and it's a it's a two day event which is the first two day event really that we've had um, of the same bolt action thing um, in, in almost the three and a bit years the only mm. two day events that we've done previously have been um, like I did one which was a regular bolt action event and then a tank war event that yep. were consecutive yep. days but i don't count yeah, those that, that would be technically an yeah. yeah um yep. we did uh, a couple of our campaign days that were spread across multiple days but they weren't consecutive so mm. that doesn't mm. count um so yeah this will be the first one i think that we've done that'll be actually two a days worth of um worth of gaming and we're doing weekend. it two two games on the saturday two games on the sunday so a very relaxed schedule as well that's really good um cool i think we will leave it there this is the first jack daniel special take that gin and tonic um we'll catch you next time hopefully with a full crew um probably all about southern thrust um because most of the crew will be at that event be really cool to catch up on that and then we've got another one well, we got yeah, Band of so Brothers hosted by Gorchin. Is that the... We got Band of Brothers hosted by Gorchin, which is our yep. first teams event. So we've done doubles before, but this is actually teams of three players. Yeah, um, that's coming through. Unfortunately, I couldn't play in that one. Um, that's but uh, but it looks very very good. Um, yep, I'm really excited to see how everyone takes that piece up and what we decide to do um, mm. as a community moving forward with those sorts of events. Um, and then we also have um, the Combined Arms uh, campaign yes, that will be kicking yes, off yes, for yes. RHG. Well, RHG so, and whoever wants to take part, to be fair. Definitely. So um, I think you've got a little unboxing video about Combined Arms yeah, up on I've, Western Tabletop. Yeah. Um, please do check it out. But, yeah, uh, a, a call out to anybody in Bolt Action Perth. Please do get in touch with Dan. Uh, we're really yep. excited to really get involved with combined arms so yeah. it's 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 warlords campaign system that uh designed to link all of their various world war ii games together mm. um and i've taken it on a little bit of a of a detour in the sense that it can actually accommodate any world war ii system um as well so the the i've initially got it set for eight players which will be two generals and um six majors that 
um, reporting to those generals, but we also have a reserve list function. So even if you can't make every single game or every single day, or you can't commit to, you know, the two month time frame to get the games done or whatever, um, that's fine. You can sign up on the reserve list and you may or may not get drafted in to cover for somebody or to have a additional battle as things escalate. Um, but that's the purpose of that reserve list is so you don't have to commit to the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, more options to play bolts. It's not like that we're short of them. Uh, yeah, we're, we're very, very lucky in Perth that this, this whole time over the last few years, it's just been exploding. Yeah. Everybody is very interested in this game, and I hope that's the same for many of our viewers wherever you are in the world. And please tell yeah. us about your local scenes, uh, what events are happening there, what interests you, um, and topics that you'd like us to cover. Um, so I'm Jacob. Uh, and I've got Daniel on the call with me. Uh, so this is the HMG podcast. Uh, you can find us on YouTube slash Western Tabletop. Uh, we're on all the various podcast platforms. Just search for HMG podcast or historical miniature gamers. Follow us on Facebook. Um, and please do uh, reach out to us, Facebook, YouTube comments, all that kind of thing. We're really keen to see what you have to say and what you'd like to see from us moving forward. So uh, this is our J&D special. See you next time. See you next time, guys. <laughs>